Hi there, and welcome to the Love Sick Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Sick Scribe. Last week, we began to look at the origins of Aqua Regia, the prophetic lab, and prophetic reports, and to see the potential foundational beliefs from which they operate in prophesying to others. And today we will discuss the company Aqua Regia and the Prophetic Lab along with the prophetic report and how it's done. And we're also going to take a peek at services offered through Aqua Regia and the Prophetic Lab, as well as social media posts pertaining to the Prophetic Lab. And at the end of this two-part examination, you should have the necessary information to test in accordance with Scripture what I am presenting, as well as the practices called into question and to thoughtfully ask, Is this practice modeled in Scripture, and is the gospel of Jesus Christ going forth through this? As mentioned previously, Aqua Regia is a spiritual intelligence for-profit company that, quote, utilizes prophecy, word of knowledge, dream interpretation, strategic intercession, and discernment to unlock practical solutions in professional and personal realms of those we serve, end quote. The topic of spiritual intelligence will not be addressed today, as this is another rabbit hole in and of itself. But to give you a basic definition as to what they mean by spiritual intelligence, it is to think like God and to have God's thoughts. The name Aquaregia is Latin for royal water, and the founder of Aquaregia and the Prophetic Lab came across the name while pondering on the teaching of finding the golden people as is taught in the prophetic ministry of Bethel. And I am familiar with this because this is the curriculum that I used several years ago when I was part of the ministry I was part of in teaching on the prophetic ministry and teaching people how to prophesy. She shares in several interviews of seeing this name and it jumping off the page onto her with God telling her it was a secret company. She then began looking into its origins, tracing it back to 8th century alchemists, and we'll come back to that in just a few minutes, and then with a Hungarian chemist during World War II who dissolved two Nobel Peace Prizes in Aqua Regia and hid them from the Nazis to then return after the war and restore the Nobels back to their original state. In this small clip, she shares some of the history of Aqua Regia while making her own prophetic connection. So I'm going to share that with you, and I want you to listen for the symbolism. So let me set the stage. It's the 8th century. Alchemists have discovered a chemical compound made up of three parts that will liquefy gold. So they aptly named this chemical compound Aqua Regia because of the liquid gold, king's water, if you will. But they also discovered that aqua regia will liquefy other metals, but only those on the periodic table known as noble metals, which as you may know, is like silver and titanium and platinum. Do you hear it? Three parts, Trinity, noble, tribe of nobility. She goes on to say that the Lord told her this upon reading about the Nobel prizes. And when I read this piece of history on it, the Lord spoke to me very clearly. And he said, the interpretation for your business is that Aqua Regia hides in plain sight and protects from the enemy. At the time, I did not have a business. (laughs) It took a little bit of, took a little bit of time for me to figure that he was saying, you're going to do something and it's going to be called Aqua Regia. Um, I love the Lord and how he's outside of time because any other person would be like, you have a name of a company, but you don't know what you're doing yet. That's a little cart before the horse, cart before the horse. (laughs) But the Lord loves to give us little, like little hints and clues and draws us in. Now she goes on to lay the foundation for this business and the prophetic lab with personal spiritual experiences. And if you haven't already, you can listen to part one where I go into detail about this But let's get back to Aqua Regia. Royal water did come about in the 8th century from an alchemist, but it is not made up of three parts. It is actually made up of a ratio of three parts to one part, three parts being hydrochloric acid and one part being nitric acid, which is a nasty combination emitting fumes and was known to cause chemical explosions. It did dissolve metals such as gold, platinum, and silver, And something I found interesting when I looked into alchemy is that it used external and internal methods 
to purify the body and to prolong life. It originated in ancient Egypt and was incorporated into other cultures over time. By the 16th century, it had spread into Europe and it had separated into two groups. First group is what we know as modern chemistry in discovering new compounds and reactions, while the second group led to modern day alchemy, focusing on the spiritual and metaphysical side with an emphasis on immortality and the transmutation of base metals such as lead into gold. Now, here is another element of this which may be of interest. Alchemists kept their information secret because they thought they had discovered powerful knowledge in turning base metals into gold. So they would write in code. For example, the code name for nitric acid could be Red Dragon. And not only would they write in code, but they would draw in code to conceal knowledge. So I've seen older pictures when I was doing some research on this. The alchemists would draw these images of a dragon, for example, that would represent aqua regia and and a fox together, or a dragon and an eagle. And they would do this narration with the pictures. And for them, it was a secret code to talk about these elements that they had found so that no one, kings and other people that have high authority would not be able to find out these secrets they believed they had found of turning lead into gold because they believed this was powerful knowledge. Now, spiritual alchemists sought to liberate the soul from the physical matter. And the transmutation of lead into gold was seen as a process of self-actualization, spiritual rebirth. A modern author named Nancy Shandira wrote a book called The Gold Within You. And she said this, Alchemical processes are merely symbols for the inner process of transforming our, quote, lead into our true state of being. By embracing the gold within, we learn of our soul and its purpose. I found this wording interesting of finding the gold within, and as you will see in a minute, the code names used in the prophetic lab may or may not have any significant correlation with this. When it comes to providing the prophetic reports for either an individual or a business, this is done using a double-blind method, according to Lindsay, meaning that a gatekeeper or handler is the point person who knows the identity of the person or business but is not permitted to prophesy. Lindsay is typically this person. She talks about this in some of the interviews that she did, particularly the one with Ben Armstrong back in 2019, where she says most of the time she is the actual gatekeeper or handler, the one that knows the information about the person and keeps it secret while other people don't know. Those who prophesy to the individual have no knowledge of the recipient except what is called an ID code. This is where she says, quote, Jesus shows up, end quote. We will look at the code words more in some social media posts. Each prophetic word is also said to be produced independently, meaning there is no contact between anyone on the prophetic team. After a process is completed, quote, a collection of prophetic words is put together in a highly stylized way, end quote. According to their website, the report has three sections. The first is intelligence where the prophetic words come forth for the recipient, typically from 10 to 15 prophetic reporters, and there is attention given to emerging patterns. The second section is interpretation, where intelligence is compiled by pattern tracking specialists who identify patterns and themes, decoding themes and key messages from God. The trackers look for, quote, foretelling, actionable intel, themes and patterns, and keepers and seekers, end quote. In some of the interviews, I've even heard her talk about that they help to formulate their um, lab and such through 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 means like the that the CIA uses and and things like that. So they're putting together, trying to do an experimental type scientific way while incorporating other means in in secular use. Keepers are words of encouragement, while seekers equate to feeling something on a word God might be saying. So here is a clip with Lindsay talking with Chris Valentin in 2021 about the trackers who analyze data and track patterns, or what has also been said in interviews as, quote, interpreting parables. Let's listen for just a little bit. So the trackers are my team of people. They go, they operate in two ways. They're very analytical. They're like prophetic analysts, but they're also discerners. So they will first go through and they will pull out all the themes and patterns 
and they'll pull out the key words and things they feel yeah. weighed on. Got it. Then I have this one girl, her name's Erin, one of the most, you know, you ever meet some people yeah. that just make you uncomfortable yeah. with their gift? <laughs> she makes me uncomfortable. So she like goes through the report and she's like, where is truth? And she'll pull stuff out and be like, I feel so much truth on these things. Yeah. And then she'll look at them and tie them together into a prophetic interpretation. Wow. Her accuracy on this is phenomenal. Wow. Yeah. Now, a few things here to consider. Is this modeled in scripture? Do we see this model for prophecy being done in scripture? Is this how prophecy was done in either the Old or New Testament? We do not see prophets doing a form of cold reading, which this is a form of cold reading. We also do not see the model of picking out words based on feeling truth on them. When God spoke, it was clear, coherent, and authoritative. Does God ever speak in such a way that it is not authoritative? And if he did, how do we know when it is authoritative and when it is not? I know I'm asking a lot of questions, but I have questions. There is a premise established in this that prophecy can be fallible and that it is not about being right or wrong, but hearing the voice of God, as we'll see later on. How can one be certain the truth they feel is from God? And how can we trust a fallible person or fallible people who hold a fallible prophecy while saying they are hearing God's voice? I hope you see the double-mindedness in this and the confusion that this can bring. The third section to a prophetic report is called the Executive Summary, and it consists of a one-page overview with key points and unpacking the depth of the report, which my understanding from what I've heard in interviews, the report is about 60 pages long, and they use, again, a highly stylized way to put it together, meaning, I guess, nice quality paper and, and printing and such. The prophetic report goes through an editing process with a copy editor as well as a prophetic editor. In her interview with Ben Armstrong, Lindsay says that they want the word to be, quote, healthy, respectful, and fit for a king. So let's take a little bit of time and listen back in to their interview back in 2019. So the prophetic editor, um, they just make sure that the word is healthy, respectful, and fit for a king. So, for example, I have some people on my team that have these amazing, like, deliverance mantles, right? Yeah. And so they sometimes will, like, tap in to be like, oh, I think I saw, like, there needs to be some inner healing about something in the past. And you're like, eh, we're not going to put that in the report. You know yeah. what I mean? Because we don't really have... So the prophetic editor goes through and makes sure it's all respectful, honorable, and appropriate. So 1 Corinthians exactly. you know, 14, verse 3 is, is so important with all of this. So we're looking to strengthen people, encourage people, to, to edify them, build them up. And we're making sure that these words are in line with that, but yeah. not just that also in line with language that people understand. So being in the church, a lot of people are raised in the church and we have really churchy language. Well, that's not translatable in the world. So No, you're like talking about apostolic. I've used that word before and people are like, what are you even talking about? And I was like, oh, okay, let me make this so you can understand what I'm saying. Exactly. So simple simple things like uh, instead of saying, I see God giving you a new wineskin in this season, we would say, maybe I see God giving you a new operating system. And and it's just changing the, the language to fit the audience. So we know the audience is a certain audience. This is their language. Okay, how do we interpret what Joe Blow is saying over here, prophetic guy or girl, and and how do we put it in a language that this person could could receive and understand? Now, I want to read to you a little bit of 1 Corinthians 14, and keep in mind that 1 Corinthians 14 was written by the Apostle Paul, and the audience was not unbelievers. The audience was the church in Corinth. And what Paul has to say about spiritual gifts, which I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 12 to read about spiritual gifts. 13 is important. 1 Corinthians 13, all the Bible's important. But when you're talking about in context of what we're talking about here, it's really important to read all those chapters together. And when you're reading 1 Corinthians 14, it's really good to maybe do an in-depth study on that, to look at commentaries, to 
to really search these things out and to see what the context was then and what was going on. Because there's a lot of uh, discussion and, and debate on on what this chapter is talking about. And there is a great tendency to pull verses out of context and to misappropriate them. Now, 1 Corinthians 14, of course, whole thing of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul is actually correcting the Corinthian church because they've got a lot of doctrinal issues. They've got a, they've, they're doing a lot of things that are not in accordance with how God would want them to walk in a Christ-like manner. And so Paul is having to address some things here and to correct some things. And in 1 Corinthians 14, he's addressing the issues with prophecy and tongues that's going on among the Corinthian church. By the way, there's no other church that he talks to about this. If you'll look in scripture, this is the only church that we see in the epistles where he is addressing this issue. He says, verse one, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. This was the verse that they were referencing, and it was mentioned in that clip. Let me go on. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So we can see, as we even go on through 1 Corinthians 14, that Paul is talking about building up the church. The spiritual gifts are for building the church. They're not for building up self. I know I've talked about tongues before, and it would seem that that is one of the one of the few gifts that people will talk about that is actually for building yourself up. I used to, uh, sad to say, I used to teach people how to pray in tongues. And one of the things that we would tell people at the altar is we would quote Jude 20 to them, Jude 120. Uh, be ye beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And it's actually read into the text by by some, including what I used to do, that that is actually praying in tongues. It doesn't say that in the passage. So praying in the Spirit, for example, I know this is off topic, but praying in the Spirit could be praying according to the will of God by the Holy Spirit. But sometimes people will read into it and say that it's actually talking about praying in tongues. And when you're trying to tell someone how to get baptized in the Holy Spirit and talk them through it, then one of the things you'll, that, that's one of the things that would be told to them. Tongues seems to be uh, one of the gifts that is designated for personal edification, but we don't see that in Scripture. Now, another thing to mention, too, in 1 Corinthians 14, just as a side note, when you go through here is as you go on down to verse 20 in 1 Corinthians 14, and Paul begins to talk about uh, referencing Isaiah 28 verses 11 through 12, where the people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, will I speak to this people? And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. He's talking about the judgment that came on the Jews in the Old Testament times when the Assyrians came and they spoke a language that Israel could not understand. And when Israel heard these, these people, they knew they were under judgment because they were hearing tongue spoken, a known language, but that was unknown to them. So Paul goes on to say in verse 22, thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. And then he goes on to say, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or believers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, which prophesy can mean not just foretelling and reading somebody's mail, like we say in some of these, like it's been said in some of these circles or some people say, but prophecy is forthtelling. It's, it's proclaiming for on behalf, speaking forth is, is what prophecy means. It's speaking forth. That's the gospel. So if these people, if an unbeliever comes in, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, enters where? Enters the church. He is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. And he's convicted. This is not a word that's said to be um, honorable or in, it's, it's concerned about that person as far as like making sure that that person is protected in their feelings or honoring them or whatever. This is about presenting the gospel to them 
in true prophecy, it says convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. I say that to say all this, that even when looking at these passages, you know, like I said, they mentioned 1 Corinthians 14.3. And even in looking at 1 Corinthians 14.22, I just read to you, they did not mention that. But in listening to this, that one came to mind. And I'm thinking, well, the spiritual gifts are for the church, for building up the church. And prophecy is assigned to believers because when unbelievers actually hear the gospel being presented and they're coming under conviction by the Holy Spirit and they're falling on their faces and the secrets of their heart, which are not good, by the way, we're not talking about the the secret um, desires of the heart that are pleasing to God, because we know that apart from God, the word says in Jeremiah that our hearts are deceitful and wicked, and we can't, we essentially can't know the depths of that wickedness. No one can know them except God. He sees that and he knows that. And that's why he sent Jesus, because we needed a Savior, the Savior, not just any Savior, but the Savior. So when we see all this in context in 14, 1 Corinthians 14, that spiritual gifts are for building up the church, it should cause us to ask some questions, because the unbelievers coming in and again hearing prophecy, which is the proclamation of the Word of God. We know, based on what was discussed last week, that they provide prophetic reports to unbelievers, people of other faiths, and atheists. And there's even a place on their website where you can donate a non-tax-deductible gift toward a report for someone on their evangelism wish list. They state here, quote, several reports have been sent as gifts to individuals who do not necessarily associate themselves with faith. This has resulted in an open door for conversations around faith as well as recipients experiencing the love of God, end quote. So here's another question I want to ask. Are we supposed to be prophesying to unbelievers in this way? I have mentioned before that prophecy seems to be viewed as foretelling or knowing intimate knowledge about someone. However, prophecy is foretelling. As I've already stated, it's the full gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is prophetic because it testifies of Christ. And what exactly is the experience these people are having? If they're experiencing the love of God, what does that mean? It sounds very subjective. And are they hearing the full gospel being ministered? If you listen last week, you will understand why this is being asked and why I have genuine concerns. And I hope you do as well as a Christian, because that is what we're called to do. When you talk about destiny or purpose that we have, we're told in Matthew 28, we're to make disciples, just as the disciples were told by Christ in Matthew 28. That that commission has not changed. We follow the leader who is Christ. We minister his word, his gospel, his plan, his per- we, we minister his word. And so if you want to know what you're called to do as a Christian, you're called to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're called to glorify God in word and deed in all that you do. That's what you're supposed to do. You don't need someone telling you what how heaven sees you, what your identity is. You should be able to read the Bible and see what your identity is in Christ. And that's encouraging. That's encouraging that we can actually read the Bible and that we can be built up by the Word of God, reading the Word of God, having the Holy Spirit illuminate the Word to us in the proper way to where we understand the way that we should walk and in glorifying Christ. Lindsay also mentioned about deliverance gifted members not having their words incorporated into the report when they are said to sense the necessity. And I wonder why that's the case. If deliverance is such an important aspect of ministry, and she has people on her team that are saying that they have this gift of discerning that when someone needs deliverance, and it is said that deliverance is necessary according to the Lord, according to the Holy Spirit and these teachings that come forth with inner healing and such. I'm wondering why that is being quenched. That seemed interesting to me. From there, the words go to the weavers, as she calls them, and they create the executive summary stating the recipient's identity in heaven, the mandate on their life, and their, and their season. 
There are also discerners and seekers involved in the process. And in her interview with Ben, she mentioned about a QR code being provided to the recipient as many times they prophesy also through scenes from movies or songs. So if if they believe they're getting something from a movie such as Lord of the Rings and it's a specific clip in that movie, they will actually incorporate that into the QR code to share with that person so they can watch it and they can extrapolate the prophetic meaning from that movie scene over their life. Now, Lindsay does give a detailed example of what the process looks like for trackers to find patterns and themes in, in one of her webinars. The highlighted words are pulled aside and connecting the dots begins, she says. In her describing how they were connecting the dots, I heard her mention that for particular words or phrases that sounded familiar, the tracker Googled that word or phrase to find the meaning or connection. Now, I don't know if you heard me correctly, but the tracker Googled to search for a connection to a particular word she felt truth on in a prophetic word. Um, isn't the Holy Spirit capable of being specific? And I recalled to you last week that Daniel is the model for this business. It's the model for her life, the, the founder's life, and it's the model for this business. And when Daniel interpreted dreams and spoke on behalf of the Lord, he was specific. And if Daniel is the model, why not see the specific detail provided or ask the Holy Spirit to provide this information as he did? Even Daniel made it clear that the knowledge that is given, it's given by God, not Google. So, that was another thing I noticed that kind of caught my attention when I was listening to her explain this in depth, that Google was used several times to try to connect the dots. And I got to wonder about that, to be honest with you. I mean, some people may not see an issue with that, but when you're saying that you're getting a word from the Lord and you're having to use uh, Google or another search engine in order to connect the dots, that needs to be taken in consideration with this because that's not prophetic. And when I say prophetic, I'm talking about the way they mean prophetic, which is, which is always foretelling or revealing the hidden knowledge that God has, the secret knowledge for people, their identity in heaven, their mandates, the mandate on their lives. You do not hear the gospel being presented. You simply don't. And I've listened to hours of, of footage and I've read through the site. There's no mention. And if there's mention of, of verses of scripture, they're just mentioned. Uh, Proverbs 25, 2 is one of them that she mentions. This is based on their understanding of the prophetic, pulling the gold out of people. As I've said before, that's one of Chris Valentin's things. It's when it was in his basic prophetic ministry training. You know, just the focusing on the positive. You don't say anything negative. You focus on the positive. You, um, she uses the model for uh, for a prophetic word, which is uh, revelation, interpretation, application. Again, that comes from his basic prophetic ministry training. That's on their that's in their webinar as well when they talk about that. So now that we have seen the inner workings of a prophetic report, let's talk about compensation. And yes, there's compensation here. And I have some questions about that as well, because it seems kind of muddy on the site in understanding and deciphering where this money goes. There are four different types of reports available through Aqua Regia. There's profile reports, there's mini profile reports, there's company reports and solution reports. Let's start with profile reports. Profile reports provide a quote, a glimpse into how heaven sees the recipients, highlights specific themes and patterns that indicate what God is speaking about them, and provides practical steps on how they can partner with him to see the promises over their lives realized. Our hope for these reports is to provide an in-depth conversation starter, an in-depth conversation starter for the recipients to connect with God and hear his voice in a new way. And to order one of these reports costs you $2,000. Many reports are shortened versions of profile reports with the difference being they leave the recipient to uncover the themes and patterns hidden in their words for themselves. Now the cost of this report is $250. The company report shares heaven's perspective on the unique identity, calling, and strength of a company. It illuminates current and future opportunities. It provides strategic spiritual intelligence to insist in decision-making, solution development, and capitalization of these opportunities. And the cost to get one of these reports is $2,750. The solution report is for solving real-world problems with heavenly solutions. However, when I clicked on this, it said the report is out of stock on the website. There is a note below these reports stating, quote, Our prophetic team consists entirely of volunteers. No one is compensated for delivering prophetic words. 
Your investment goes towards production costs related to data analysis, publishing, printing, and shipping of the report. We are a pay-it-forward company. A percentage of every report purchased is donated to the charity below, which the charity they have chosen is called Charity Water. Now, I was looking through this, and before I saw the three sections to the prophetic report, I, I saw this disclaimer, if you will, on their site saying, the prophetic team consists of volunteers. I know in earlier interviews, I've heard her talk about when they were first training people that, you know, there would be 30 to 40 people in a room. I don't know how many people are, are volunteering at um, Aqua Regia or Prophetic Lab, which by the way, the money paid goes to Aqua Regia, which is a for-profit company. The Prophetic Lab is listed as a non-for-profit company. Both of these were established, I uh, believe the Prophetic Lab was established in June of last year. And the Aqua Regia company, the for-profit company, was established in December of 2021. This is a fairly new company that's been established. I know that they've been doing prophetic labs uh, at least for at least uh, for several they for several years. Because last week we looked at when Lindsay talks about when she was a second-year BSSM student, she said she went on the trip in Thailand in 2014 with BSSM and. After coming back from that 40-day trip, she became a BSSM student. I don't know what time frame, what time span had passed, but in her second year at BSSM, which let's say maybe 2016, she started having these visions that she was having in trances and started seeing that the, her, her life fell in line with the book of Daniel and began getting these downloads that she talks about and getting this idea of for the prophetic lab. Bethel incorporated her idea. She she went on, she did an internship in the third year with the prophetic department and began to incorporate this idea of the prophetic labs and training people how to do this. And it grew from there. And now she has her own business that she's talking about that I'm sharing with you today. Aqua Regia and the subsidiary is the prophetic lab. So as I'm looking at, at this, the statement, I'm thinking, this really is is troubling because this sounds like simony. This sounds like paying for prophecy, but then there, it sounds like a roundabout way to get around this. And what in the world is data analysis? And then when I started looking and I saw the, the breakdown of the three parts of the report, I uh, instantly like the second part with the interpretation where intelligence is compiled and analyzed for patterns. I thought, is that the data analysis? Because that's part of delivering this prophetic word. I think that there's trying to be some separation here. And again, I don't know the thoughts and intentions of Lindsay's heart or the people that are involved in this. I don't know what they're, if, if they have deceptive intentions that they're trying to deceive, maybe they're deceived and they don't realize it and they genuinely want to help people. I don't know, but this is not prophecy. This is not how any of this is, is laid out for us in the model of scripture in how prophecy was conducted either in the old Testament or in the new Testament. And it would seem the data collected consists of prophetic words. And in line with the section two of the prophetic report, the interpretation where intelligence is compiled and analyzed for patterns. And it is great to be helping others through a charity. And uh, though the percentage is not disclosed. And I, I appreciate that people want to help other people and they want to be generous and give them uh, finances to help them. But I'm having trouble understanding how this wouldn't technically fall under simony because people are essentially paying for prophetic words and to hear the voice of God. They're paying $2,000 for someone to sit down and tell them in a highly stylized way, this is how heaven sees you. This is the mandate on your life. This is the season that you're in. It's interesting, too, how it's set up that this this company, which she admits in the webinar, she says the Aqua Regia lays low. They don't talk about it much. That's the for-profit company and the subsidiary underneath it is the prophetic lab, which is for equipping the church. We'll look at them here in just a second because they offer uh, e-courses and such that people can pay for in order to learn how to do some of these things and to hear the voice of God. These are, these are questions that need to be asked. I hope that you're asking them as well as you're listening to this. And again, I want you to be, and I don't mean this in a a gossipy way of saying all this and then saying, oh, you need to pray for her. You, you really, we really need to be praying for Lindsay, praying for people on this team, that their eyes are opened, that their ears are open to hear the truth of the gospel, to turn from these ways, to repent and turn from them. And I mean that in all sincerity. There's no malice 
on my end. This is genuine concern from someone that was involved in stuff like this. When I was searching through this, there was at one point that I was looking at something and I can't remember what it was and I'm reading it to my husband and it had hit me while I was looking at it. I was not to this point, but there were things that she's doing I really uh, related to when I was in this movement. I, I mean, it was it was sobering to look at it and think that. And it was not a condemnation that I was under, but it was this, wow, this was this was the direction that I was going, not in this exact direction of making this type of lab, if you understand. But I, I think that that's, it really caused me to have compassion. And I know that, that for some, they won't see it as compassion. They'll, they'll see it as being a Pharisee, which I would encourage you to look at what the true definition of a Pharisee is and what they actually did. Um, they will see it as religious or, um, you know, void of the spirit, or they'll see it as being critical. There'll be all these other labels put on it without fairly looking and examining what the concern is. And the concern is God is not being glorified in this. There is another gospel being presented. There is another Christ that is being presented. I don't know who, I don't know what voice these people are hearing, but there's no mention of the, the, the true gospel in this. There's no mention of, you know, you're, you're in rebellion, you're in sin, and you've broken God's law, and because of that, the, the judgment of God, the wrath of God abides on you when you disobey God. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came, he was sent by the Father to atone for our sins, so that way we could be reconciled back to the Father, so that way we would no longer be children of wrath. And what we do, and the call is to repent and believe in him, believe for salvation, and understanding that when we are made new in him, when we are cleansed by his righteousness, and it's traded for our unrighteousness, our filthy rags of righteousness that Isaiah talks about, our sin, our rebellion, and we are truly in Christ, then he gives us the promise of eternal life in addition to cleansing us from all that unrighteousness. And then we begin to walk in the ways according to his word, bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. And so there was one point that I was looking at this and I really, I broke down because I was telling my husband about it and it was so difficult to look at this because there's a frustration aspect of this, of going, people don't see what's going on here, that God is not being glorified in this. And it is frustrating. And then reaching that point of thinking, wow, there's things that she's doing that I used to do these exact same things. I remember looking at my husband and I was breaking down in tears. And I said, was I like this? Is this how I sounded? And he was honest and saying, yeah, I mean, there were things that you were doing, not to this extreme, but still there are things that you were saying that are similar to what what's going on here or what's called the prophetic. So I hope that you understand that though there is some frustration that I have personally to this and, and there are people that message me all the time that equally share this frustration. There's also a sadness that comes with this of and a joy at the same time. It's, it's really hard to explain. But when you know that, that, that God has brought you out of things that really are not agreeing with what his word says. And his word is the standard, by the way. And I know that also there will be people that get offended by that. But that's the truth. And if and if Christians uh, that are professing Christians have a problem with another professing Christian saying that the Bible is the standard, then that seems problematic in and of itself to get mad about something like that. But there's a mixture, there's a hodgepodge of emotions and, and things that you're dealing with in this. There's joy in knowing that God's brought you out of deception. There's sadness that other people are involved. There's frustration or even a righteous indignation that that people are disparaging the name of God, that they're they're misrepresenting him, that they're 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 being um, irreverent. There's a lot of uh, there's a mixture to this. And above all things, we should want that God would be glorified in this, that we testify of Christ through that sadness or through that righteous indignation that we're always pointing back to Christ and that we're, that we're always telling the joy of our salvation. Um, I'm thankful that God brought me out of this because um, now, I, I, I'm, now I'm starting to see the true fruit from, from a life lived for Christ and that he is glorified and I give him all the glory for that. But 
I have concerns about this. This this is this is really looking like people are actually paying for prophetic words to hear the voice of God, and this is not okay. Now, as for the Prophetic Lab, which is a nonprofit subsidiary of Aqua Regia, they offer equipping webinars for people. They have classes such as Prophesy Your Year. I think it's $35 to do that. You can hear what God is saying to you for the next 12 months. You can learn how to prophesy specific and accurate words in this class, how to prophesy signs that testify to larger promises, and you receive a digital calendar to put your prophetic words in. During this class, they play songs on the Prophetic Lab playlist found on Spotify, and most of these songs are movie scores, such as Back to the Future, um, Edward Scissorhands, Lord of the Rings. There's several different on there that, that it's not actual worship to the Lord. It's movie scores that they play to inspire people to prophesy. And again, this is trying to teach you how to hear the voice of God. We don't see this in scripture, guys, by the way. We don't see this. Uh, I think this is really training to hear what your inner self, <laughs> to look inward and to hear what what you think God is saying. And we're never told to look inward in that capacity. We, if anything, if we need to look inward, we need to look and see how much we need Christ. That's what we need to be looking at when we look inward. Because when we start to look inward, or what people call navel gazing, when we begin to look inward, and we all and all we see is the good in us and the gold in us and then we're really making ourselves God and we're not being honest in, in why we need Christ, why we need him to cleanse us. Other online labs they offer in the prophetic lab are the prophetic intensive lab where you can make your own prophetic report. And doing the cost of this is $550. So they acknowledge that a personal report, a, a profile report is $2,000, but you can actually do this lab and do your own report for 550 they also offer a science and timeline lab and a prophetic lab 101, both teaching how to hear the voice of God in some capacity. And these are $35 and $85 respectively. And they also offer an investigative and interpretive service for those who have prophetic words they cannot process on their own. So you can submit one to four words to a prophetic tracker and they will sit down with you, review them, see the themes and patterns in them, and they will help you to unpack what God is saying. The cost of this service is $125. One final area to address is the Instagram account. And I normally wouldn't cover something like this and, and go through and show you examples of posts in here, but I feel like it is necessary for this so that you can get an even better picture of what's going on. I actually took time to look at this account and I wanted to share with you some of the examples on their feed of what is encouraged and also give you examples of how the ID code works. Remember a little bit ago, I told you how they assign um, a secret code, an ID code to someone. They don't ever tell the people prophesying the person's name or anything about them. Only one person, typically Lindsay, knows the information about the individual but the other people that are prophesying know nothing. And the people in the room that are prophesying are not even, uh, they say, are not even communicating with one another. That's why they assign a code because they want to uh, do the double blind methodology, which again, this is a really odd way of doing a cold reading as what this is, because they don't have the person sitting in front of them. They're not basing it on body language or what the person looks like or, um, how well kept they are in their uh, hygiene. You know, there's lots of different things that people could do. Such Psychics will do that. They do cold readings of looking at someone's body language and how they're dressed and, and, and how their uh, hygiene is or, you know, just different cues they'll pick up on or facial expressions. And they'll do cold readings and they'll ask vague questions. And, and so this, this also goes on in the, in the prophetic too. So an experiment was done with the code name. Here's the first one. Here's the first post I want to share with you. And there's several of them that we'll go through. An experiment was done with the code name female one. So capital female with the number one after it. And this is what the Instagram post um, instructed people to do. Participants were told to spend some time with God asking questions regarding the heavenly identity of female one. They were to ask, what does God think of her? And what are the words he would use to describe her? They were then told to grab a piece of paper, draw whatever came to them about her, and to let the Holy Spirit guide their hand and see what comes out. And that's verbatim from the Instagram. They were told that. 
A few days later, it was revealed that female one was that person's mother. So in case you're a little confused on this, because it took me a few minutes to figure out what they were doing, I had to look through there and I'm going, oh, okay. So they're giving the code name and giving the questions for people to figure out. And they're basically opening this up and making it an experiment on their Instagram account. And then a couple days later, they'll reveal the identity of the person that had the code name. And it's essentially for the, the participants to say, what did God say about this person to you? Did you realize that you were talking about your mother? Do you see where I'm going with this? So that was one of the posts. So female one was that person's mother. Another day, they had an experiment with male 45, which was revealed a day or two later to be Donald Trump. And they asked the same questions in male 45. What does God saying about male 45? How does, what does he love about male 45? And they, the participants did not know who they were talking about. And then a few days later, they look at their word to see, oh, did they figure out it was Donald Trump? What was God, what is God saying about Donald Trump? The caption below the reveal said, quote, remember this exercise isn't about getting something right. It's about learning how the Lord speaks to you. Okay. Some posts consist of prophetic words from team members. On a particular day, a post was made with prophetic words for someone named Crystal slash Crystal. And they spelled Crystal two different ways because in Alabama because they didn't know which way the Holy Spirit was telling them how to spell this this woman's name. Someone named Ben. They, and this was a, a, a post on here. I know you can't see it on the podcast, but there was a post and, it, and this particular person on the team said prophetic words for people, words for people. And they had this list here. So someone named Crystal slash Crystal spelled two different ways in Alabama. Someone named Ben. Someone named Rachel, birthday, April 27th. Someone with a name that sounds like charcoal. And someone with the name Velaquez. Each one consisted of a short word under each person that they were trying to identify. Again, very vague. Someone that sounds like the name Charcoal. I, I honestly had a chuckle when I saw that because in, in the caption below it, it the, the picture, it said, Charcoal, are you out there? Which negated what the word actually said. It said someone with a name that sounds like Charcoal. It didn't say the person was called Charcoal. The words tried to sound specific, like saying that someone was getting, I think Crystal slash Crystal in Alabama was get a healing, getting a healing, especially in her right shoulder. But again, it's vague because we don't know who Crystal slash Crystal is. We don't know which Crystal, uh, we, we know nothing. And we don't even know if this is accurate or not. And then if this is not accurate, then it's brushed off as saying, oh, it's okay. You're just learning how to hear the voice of God again. We don't see this modeled in scripture. The Old Testament prophets, when they spoke on behalf of the Lord, it was none of this, well, I think that the Lord is saying, or I believe that the Lord is saying, when they spoke and said, thus saith the Lord, it was the Lord speaking through them, a fallible vessel, by the way. When God speaks, he is infallible. When a fallible voice spoke with the authoritative voice of God, and speaking on behalf of him as a mouthpiece for him and saying what he wanted to say, that was completely different than that person, such as the example of Nathan speaking to David and saying, yeah, go ahead and build the temple to please the Lord. And then the Lord actually coming to the prophet Nathan in the Old Testament and saying, no, you need to actually tell David this. And Nathan had to go back and say, this is what the Lord is actually saying. Nathan didn't initially say that that was what the Lord told him and said, the Lord said it was good. He just assumed that it would please the Lord for David to do this. But it wasn't what God wanted David to do. He ended up wanting Solomon to build the temple because David was a man of war. There's examples that are extrapolated from Scripture to try to validate or justify false prophecy, essentially, and that there's no validation for it. And when you say that God told you something and then it's not right, and then you you backpedal and you say, well, I'm still learning how to hear the voice of God, but you just said that God said it, or you just said that the Holy Spirit said it. That's not how that works. You're going to be held accountable for your words and words matter. I know that the, <laughs> that's something that's said in culture, but when you're talking about God, you're speaking on behalf of God. You are saying out of your mouth, God said this, the Holy Spirit said this, you're representing 
God, you're you're speaking on his behalf. And when you're saying things that he didn't say, that's that's serious. And it should not be taken lightly in that capacity. We can see this uh, represented here and um, doing the code names and, and trying to do these prophetic words for people that are very vague and, and not specific. And we have no way of testing them to know if and to hold someone accountable because what they're doing on Instagram and they're posting this, we have no way of knowing if this really happened or not, if these were actually true words that came to pass, if this really did minister, we, we just don't know. It's being put out of the spiritual ether is what I like to call it. And it's just kind of hoping it'll hit a target somewhere and calling it prophecy and removing accountability, by the way, when it's not accurate and just saying, oh, we're just learning how to hear the voice of God. This is learning how to hear how God speaks to you. That's very subjective. And when you, and then it's to evade accountability and it's also to shut down critical thinking, by the way, because when you say that God said something, then the tendency is for people to say, oh, well, I better not question that because God said it. Um, another post they did, there were finders experiments where a team member hid an object on a particular day at a specific time in an undisclosed location. The assignment was to ask the Lord to show the participants the item and to describe what it is. They were then instructed in the post to ask the Lord to take them to the place and describe the area where it was located. So how is this glorifying God? I mean, this is like a spiritual scavenger hunt. Uh, and I don't, I don't see how this is glorifying God. And I don't see that God being elevated here. I see the person being elevated for being able to hear what they think is the voice of God in trying to do a scavenger hunt. This is trying to find an object that the cryptographer, which is what she refers to herself as in this post that, that did this on Instagram, they're trying to find an object that she hid in an undisclosed location at a specific time and that she's telling them, go to God and ask him to describe to you what the object is and then to, to ask him to take you to that place and describe the area that it, where it was located. And if you got it right, then you're hearing the voice of God. Really? Th this will help confirm to you that you're hearing the voice of God. What if you're hearing another voice that's not God? What if you're hearing your own thoughts? What if what if what is communic if there's something truly a spiritual entity communicating with you that's not God? What if that's the case? How are you to know that? How is this testifying of Christ? They did another uh, they did a seeing experiment one day where the caption said, quote, "An event happened in the past. Journey with God to this event in your spirit. What is the date? What happened that was important? Who was involved? How does God see the event? Tune all your senses into the event." Now, what I found equally disturbing was the text below the caption that encouraged people to, quote, join your consciousness with Jesus, end quote. The event was kept concealed from the participants on the post for a day or two. And the event that was revealed to those who participated was their own birth. So they were actually encouraged and instructed to go back in the past, to time travel, if you will, to go back to their birth. They had no idea what the, what the event was. But they were to go back to that event that was not revealed to them and ask God about what was the date, why, what happened that was important, who was involved, how did God see the event, and to join their consciousness with Jesus. That type of talk is new age talk. It is not biblical talk. It is not what we are instructed to do in a biblical sense of joining our consciousness with Christ. Does this sound like solid teaching? Is this modeled in scripture? Are we told to technically time travel and go back and into our birth? How does that even work when we're at this like quantum leap? Are we able to go back and we're, we're there at the same time, uh, it, dually existing in that moment? Do you see what I'm saying? This, this gets into such, this is not good guys. This gets into, into waters that should not be traveled. And we're not instructed to do this in scripture at all. It does not glorify the Lord. This is not pointing to the Lord. I mean, this is the, the question I, I hope that you'll continue to ask. How does this glorify the Lord? How is this biblical? Is this lining up with, with, with scripture? And forgive me for all of this, but it seems self-centered rather than Christ-centered. Uh, there are activities being encouraged here that are not based in Christian orthodoxy. And they appear more new age and occultic than from people who are to be set apart for God. And some of this seemed comical, but it was also troubling, to say the least. It was, it was troubling. So having presented all of this to you from last week and this week, I hope that this sheds some light for you on this practice taking place regarding the prophetic lab 
and I hope it causes you to pause and ask thoughtful and biblical questions. After seeing all this information, I can only warn others to stay clear of this practice and of this business. It is not based in scripture. We have no model like this for prophecy in the confines of the word of God. There is also the concern that there is little to no understanding of the true gospel of Jesus Christ based on what was detailed in part one. There is also prophecy being done at the will of the individual prophesying, it would seem. When do we ever see that in the Bible? We, we don't. That's the answer. We don't. We don't see someone prophesying at their will. The Holy Spirit functioned in and through those who spoke for God. It was not as the person willed, but as God willed. It is also disconcerting when someone says it is not be about being right or wrong while, say they, while saying they are hearing what the Lord says. It reminds me of the game where a person whispers something to the person next to them. I don't know if you ever have seen this, if you played this or ever seen it, but you know, there's a line of people and one person, the first person whispers something into the one's ear next to them. And then that one goes down. It's like a chain and you get to the end to see if what the person, the original person, what they said is what gets down to the end. And a lot of times it's not. A lot of times it's not even close to what they said or there's something wrong with it because people are just not getting the whole the whole truth of what was said. This is what it reminds me of. Now I would like to close with this to consider. If an individual is not being told about sin, rebellion against God and why they need the savior, if they're not hearing the testimony of Jesus Christ in true prophecy, true prophecy, the the proclamation of the gospel the the proclamation of the good news to our bad news, then they're not hearing the full gospel. And that's the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And if they're not hearing the word of God ministered to them and testifying of Christ and his atonement for our sin, then they're not hearing the gospel and the spirit in operation giving accurate words without the gospel being presented should be tested every time. These two episodes have been done with genuine concern and genuine love for people to hear the truth, to hear the truth of the word of God, and to not be blown around by by these winds of doctrine that are starting to come through. And again, I mentioned about spiritual intelligence, there is no way for me to cover even in this podcast, and it would be very difficult probably to cover it in one podcast about spiritual intelligence. This is something that's starting to emerge into these areas of the Christian church, particularly in the charismatic they're starting to write books about it. It's it's starting to infiltrate in, and it's it's rooted in psychology, the metaphysical, um, scientific areas of creating new spiritual pathways, new neural pathways, um, so that way you can hear God better and tapping into the spiritual quotient um, that that's a combination of the IQ plus the EQ and that the spiritual quotient helps you to think more like God and and some of these the the new age and other religions that adopt this they they put a heavy emphasis on meditation on yoga on really getting to the inward self and being positive and not negative and I mean there's so many different aspects to this that it's it's really delving into a side and then it's putting this spiritual spin on it bringing it into the charismatic church of going well we need to think like god because of taking again taking scriptures out of context having the mind of christ and not really looking at what that really means as a believer in christ <sighs> goodness I, I hope again i hope that this is helpful and i hope that you understand whether i address these issues and talk about them or someone else does i hope that you'll test us in in the process of of learning that we're we're not infallible but there is a great concern and love that we have an urgency for people to come back to the truth that's the whole point of doing all of this and to glorify the lord to testify of christ in my own error when I was part of this movement and the things that I did, realizing the error, the sin that I was in, repenting of that sin, turning from it, changing my mind, going back to what the word of God says, for it not to be this type of, of thing that is romanticized or that is not in accordance with scripture, to look at him as my Lord and Savior. Yes, he is the bridegroom for the church, but he is our Lord and Savior, and he is to be reverenced 
God the Father is to be reverenced. God the Holy Spirit is to be reverenced. Jesus Christ is to be reverenced. They are three in one. There's one God. There is no God other before him or after him that he knows. And scripture testifies of each one being God, but they are one. And the gospel, the true gospel needs to go forth. Because if it's not, then people are being led further and further into deception. And that should be alarming to us. That should wake us up to say, we need to proclaim the truth because eternity is on the line for people. This is an eternal issue, as I said last week, and it is a serious one. So I hope that this, this sheds light on this and please share it with people that need to hear this. If there, if you know people that are considering this or contemplating it, or they're involved in some capacity of the prophetic like this, please share this with them so that they can be thinking on this and go back to scripture and what the word has to say, and they can get under solid biblical teaching. I hope that you have a, a, a great week and that you minister the gospel to people and that you take the opportunity to share the love of Christ through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the full gospel. Be blessed today by this word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the word and loving the one who is the word. Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.